The reading for this evening is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, and chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. You would find these readings from page 1,162 to 1,163. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what, you, what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. And as it is written, the one who, had gathered, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Chapter 9, from verses 16, 6 to 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, 
you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Great. Well, we are uh, we're looking at this passage in 2 Corinthians. Let's pray as we, as we do that. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you for um, these people, the Corinthians, the Macedonians, who were following you um, in their day. And we pray as we hear from Scripture and we think about this topic of giving, that you would help us to know what it looks like to follow you in giving today. Amen. Uh, if I haven't introduced myself before, if you don't know who I am, uh, maybe you're new today. My name's Stuart, and I am on staff here. I head up the student team with Ellie at the back and Hannah and Josh as well. So do come and say hello if we haven't met before. Um, so, everyone likes a generous person, don't they? Everybody likes a generous person. Uh, whether it's that uh, generous aunt or uncle who always used to turn up when you were smaller, always used to bring some sweets or um, a present or something like that. Maybe it's a, a generous friend who uh, never seems to think twice about buying the first round when you get to the pub. Maybe it's a, a colleague at work whom uh, just seems to be really generous with their time. You know, they don't, they don't seem to shirk sharing their time with you when, you when you need to talk about something. Everybody likes a generous person. That's not really in question, is it? The real question is whether generosity is more than just a nice characteristic to have, more than just a, a pleasant but optional attribute. Well, um, this passage uh, this evening from 2 Corinthians suggests that generosity is much, much more than that, more than an optional extra. In fact, uh, Paul lists it amongst the core aspects of the Christian walk. You may have heard him uh, say that. He said, since you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and love, make sure you also excel in this grace of giving. This is the kind of thing that should be on our spiritual audit. The grace of giving. 
So this evening, we're going to explore um, why is giving a grace? Why is it a grace? Why is it so important to Paul? And why should we, exceed, uh, uh, why should we seek to excel in it in our lives? And I think the first place to start is by saying that generosity isn't a matter of legalism. Paul said, you might have heard uh, later on there, verse 7 of chapter 9, that we shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion. This isn't something we're supposed to do because uh, we feel we absolutely have to, or to prove to one another that we're really great Christians. Uh, Certainly, uh, worst of all, isn't something that we're supposed to do to earn something from God, to try to kind of placate him or get him on our side. Paul doesn't just say, excel in giving. He says, excel in the grace of giving. He goes on in, 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 in chapter 9 to say that God loves a cheerful giver. I wonder, what would it look like for us to be truly cheerful givers? Someone who gives from the heart. Rather, when we look at this passage, uh, we find that Paul roots the motivation for giving, for generosity, in a really different place. He starts somewhere else than we sometimes start. He says, and this is the first big point we have to get, he says that our generosity should flow out of the gracious generosity of God. Our generosity should be rooted in and flow out of the gracious generosity of God. He says to them, look, I'm not commanding you, but excel in the grace of giving. Why? The next thing he says there at the beginning of chapter 8 is, well, remember this. Remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul begins this whole discussion about generosity by reminding us that we have a generous, generous God. I wonder whether that's something that's really got under our skin. I wonder whether that's something we've really let percolate down into our hearts, begun to redefine our realities. You know, as we were singing earlier, God has given us everything that we have. Absolutely everything we have. And not only that, but he constantly sustains it as well. God has given us our beings, our very existence. He's given us our characters. He's given us our talents, whatever we might look around and say are our talents. He's given us our possessions. He's given us all of our relationships as well. These are all gifts from God. Anything that you can point to in your life and say, that is good, is a gift from God. And if he forgot about us or any of those things, even for a moment, they would cease to exist. But it doesn't stop there. God hasn't just given us our possessions and and things like that. He has given us even more than that. God has given us himself. He's given us himself and all the benefits that come with that when he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us his life. He gave us his death on a cross for us, for our forgiveness. He's given us his resurrection, the power 
of which is available to us. He's given us the Holy Spirit, his promised presence with us eternally. That we might know him, that we might be transformed by him. Not only that, he's given us an adoption into his family. He's called us his friends and his children. And he has called us beyond that into an eternal communion with him. A glorious transformation will occur. And uh, at the final resurrection, we will see him face to face. And we will live eternally in communion with, with God. He's given us himself. And we don't deserve any of this. None of this was strictly necessary or expected. As Paul writes somewhere else in Romans, who has ever given anything to God that God should repay them? Our God is a generous, generous God, and everything good that we have is a gift from him. And as a result, God wants us to live in the light of that, to have our lives transformed by that. God wants us to live in the security of his generosity. He wants us to put our hope in him, to look to him, to expect him to be generous. God wants us to be vessels of his generosity to others. You know, God hasn't stopped being generous. He's still being generous, and he wants to be generous through us, his children, his followers, his body. God wants us to capture his heart for blessing people and for generosity. He doesn't just want us to be kind of uh, delivery boys, delivery girls, you know, turn up at the door, knock, 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 won't look you in the eye, hand you the package, yeah, can you sign for it? He wants us to capture his heart for generosity. He wants us to learn to take joy in blessing people and in building his kingdom. He wants to transform our hearts. Generosity is not a nicety and it's not a legalistic thing. Generosity is about learning to live in the grace and generosity of God. It's a gospel thing. It's a good news thing. And so I want to go on to suggest two more reasons why we should, why should, we should seek to excel in this gr grace of giving, the grace of generosity, why this is a good thing for us that we should seek with all our hearts. The first one is that generosity is given to us as a weapon to change ourselves. It's a, it's a weapon to change ourselves. It's a, it's a hand grenade if anyone's trying to make it out. You know, over the years, um, I have been, uh, I've been on staff uh, at HT for a number of years. I've been on placement at various other churches. I've led uh, uh, fellowship groups and small groups. I've led alpha groups, all kinds of things. I'm not blowing my own trumpet. I'm just trying to, you know, say. But in those times, uh, during that time, lots of people have come to me and they've shared some really deep and personal things um, about sex, about um, uh, addiction to things, about uh, um, all kinds of things, mental health, all kinds of per very personal things. But you know, in all those years, no one's ever taken me aside and said, Stuart, 
I think I have a problem with money. I think it has a hold on me. I think maybe I prize it too much in my life. It, it dictates my decisions too much. See, here's the thing. Nobody thinks they have a problem with money. Nobody thinks they have a problem with money. It's one of the most deceptive problems that we have for that very reason. Because we don't realize it. You know, we, we may have many other issues in life uh, that we're uh, struggling to deal with. They might be very real. I'm not trying to downplay that. But usually we realize we have them. And that means we can begin to be honest about them with people. We can begin to grapple with them with God. But money has an unusual way of going under the radar. But, but, generosity reveals it. Generosity reveals it. Like a depth charge dropped to sound out a hidden submarine. Paul says in verse 8 of chapter, chapter 8, Excel in the grace of giving. I don't command you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. He says similar things twice else after that. Generosity is a test of sincerity. It's a test of sincerity. If you want to know whether you've got a problem with money, maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't have a problem with money, this is not for me. If you want to test your sincerity, then try giving generously. Just try it. Try giving generously, and you'll find out. You see, this is the conversation I have with my heart when I actually come to the point of giving. You know, it's like, heart, <clears throat> you don't have a problem with money, do you? No, not controlled by love of things. Oh, no, no, of course not. No, no. We do have a lot of stuff, though, don't we? Um, yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. And we don't need all of that, do we? Well, no, but it's, it's nice. It's nice to have, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we give some of that away? Well, now, let's sit down and talk sensibly about this. Uh, I, I don't think that's a good idea. Okay, all right, well, why not? We don't, we don't need it. Well, you know, it, it's, it's much more expensive to buy it back than it is to, you know, just keep it, you know, and uh, sentimental value, sentimental value, and, uh, well, uh, uh, mm, mm, there you go. It's greed. It's attachment to things. Don't need them. Or how about this conversation? Maybe you've had this one with your heart. Heart, what about those savings we have? Have you put your security in those savings? No, 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 of course. I, I trust God. No, it's not. I don't trust savings. So. Okay, great, great. Well, why don't we give some of them away? Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, well, you know, okay. Well, we don't need them right now, but, um, you know, we've got to save them for a rainy day. What if something goes wrong? You know, you know we've got to be careful. Yeah, okay, but God says that when we put him first and we obey him and we trust him, we listen to him, we follow him, that he will provide. Yeah, but what if he doesn't? There you go. That's, that's what's really going on. We put our security in those things. You see, the act of giving generously, the actual act of giving, not just thinking about it, exposes our heart in a way that nothing else does. It makes us face where our real values and where our real security lies 
in life. But wonderfully, generosity is also a way of changing our hearts. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, both God and money. Well, great. That means if I invest in serving God with my money, I can't be serving money as my God. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Great. That means if I move my money into the things of God, then I'll engage in moving my heart into the things of God. Generosity is a weapon to break the hold of greed because when we give in a costly, generous way, we are actively choosing to move what we value from the thing we're giving away to the things of God. We're engaging in battle with our hearts. And the harder it is to do, the more we need to do it. And similarly, generosity is a weapon to break the hold of insecurity in our lives. I find it fascinating that in Luke chapter 12, that when Jesus comes to teaching on worry, famous passage on worry, which we've often heard um, probably, he says, look, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll wear. God loves you. He values you. He knows what you need. Put him first. Trust him, obey him, and he will provide what you need. He's teaching on worry. but Very few people get to the next bit. <laughs> the ne- very next thing he says, his application point, if you like, is, so sell your possessions and give them to the poor, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you worry about money, why don't you take Jesus' advice and give generously? Generosity is a weapon to break the hold of insecurity in our lives because when we give away these things, we are forcing ourselves to trust God because we're giving away the other things that we're placing our security in. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. So excel in the grace of giving. Because it's what's best for you. It's what's best for me. It's a weapon given to us. It's a grace to reveal and to change our hearts. Here's the second reason to excel in generosity. Generosity is a tool. It's a tool for investing in people. Jesus once told a parable about a manager in Luke 16. Uh, This manager was called in by his master, and he was told, look, um, I'm afraid you're fired. Um, You can't continue to to manage, Um, so you're going to lose your job at the end of the month, I'm afraid. And this manager was distraught, and he went away, and he said to himself, oh, man, I'm too weak to go and get a manual laboring job, and I'm too ashamed to beg, so, hmm. Ah, but I'll come up with a plan so that when this job finally finishes, I'll have provided for myself. And so he went away, and he... uh, devised the plan, then he called in all his master's debtors. And while he still had control of the ledger books, he he brought them in and he said to the one, okay, well, how much do you owe my master? Okay, great. Well, as a personal favor to you, I'm going to change this to half, right? Okay. How much do you owe? Fantastic. Okay, well, as a personal favor to you, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'm going to cut 20% off the top there. Because he knew that when his job was over, those people would take him in. What does that mean for us? The man knew 
that what he had wouldn't last. So he used what he had while it lasted, before it was gone, to invest in what would last. Worldly wealth, our money, our possessions, has no intrinsic value. It has no value in and of itself. And it isn't going to last forever. We are only managing it temporarily. And that will come to an end. People, however, do last forever. People are eternal in God's economy. So be shrewd and invest in what will last. Jesus ended that parable with these words. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Let me suggest to you to this. Suggest this tonight. There is no investment that will last. There's no sensible suggestion, therefore, except to invest in people, except to invest in blessing people, bringing them into an eternal, life-giving relationship with God. Generosity is therefore a tool for investing in people. Here are a few ways that we can invest in people. The most obvious one is, of course, um, to give to meet need. Um, it's so obvious that it's almost insulting, isn't it? Um, but we're still not particularly good at it. Uh, Jesus says in, uh, uh, sorry, Paul says in verse 14, uh, when he's talking to the Corinthians, look, at the present time, your plenty will supply what others need. Um, and then he goes on to say, and maybe at another point, you'll be in need and they'll supply what you need. And actually, the whole, the whole passage is about that. Uh, he, Paul is encouraging one church or a couple of churches to give to the Judean church who are in the middle of a famine and they really need some help. And that is obviously a good reason to give. And now I know that, that we know that money is not always the best solution for every problem. And we also know that um, there are endless things to give to. But the truth is that if we really internalize the fact that nothing we have is our own, it's all a gift from God, that only people really matter in the light of eternity, people that God loves, people that Jesus died for, then the equation is simple. And we would invest generously in meeting the needs of God's children, of people he loves. There's so much more that could be said on this, but I wonder whether tonight just some of us might be being called to relook at whether we are generous towards those who have less than us. It's, you know, not for the sake of just charity, not for the sake of quenching our consciences, but for catching uh, a heart for investing in people that God loves, an internal investment. You'll not regret it, because when your time for managing is over, you will have friends in heaven. Another way that we can um, invest in people is to give to fund God's work, Christian ministry, or the ministry of the church, and I mean big C, not just uh, local churches, but everything, maybe uh, missionaries, maybe evangelists, maybe local churches. And I do think um, that there should be a little bit less embarrassment about this and a little bit more pragmatism around it. You know, 
Christian ministry, when it's going well, when it's being done well, is unbelievably valuable. It transforms people's lives, or God transforms people's lives through it. But it costs money. It costs money. And if people don't give, well, it tends to dry up, really. And I just want to encourage us, if, if, we, if we look around us and we see uh, a people, individuals, or we see ministries, or we see churches where, you know, God's work is being done and people's lives are being changed, let's not, let's not go red about it. Let's look at that as a good investment, an internal investment that is worth putting our money behind and saying, yes, I want to get behind that. I love the example of Ken Costa. Um, who was one of the original core three uh, at Holy Trinity Brompton before it kind of became the massive thing it is. And um, I've heard him tell it this way. I'm sure there's more to the story, but I'll tell you what I heard him say. But back in the day, um, he was in a prayer triplet with uh, Nicky Gumbel, who you might have heard of, and Nicky Lee, um, who is also an associate there. And the three of them are praying together quite early on in their ministries and kind of asking God, okay, Lord, what have you got for us? ahead in life. And Nicky Gumbel was praying about it, and God said to him, okay, I really want you to invest in evangelism and just bringing people back into a relationship with me in this country and the world. And we've heard about the Alpha Course maybe, and that kind of came from that drive, and it's amazing. Uh, Nicky Lee and his wife as well felt really called together to invest in families and um, family ministry, and, and they've been you know, behind the, the marriage course and the parenting courses, and they've also been a fantastic blessing. And so after God had spoken to those two, sort of, Ken Costa was like, Lord, okay, what have you got for me? And he jokes, he says, um, and God said to me, well, who's going to pay for it? Now I love it. I mean, Ken could have gone away and said, oh, man, I just got the second-rate calling. That's rubbish. I'm not doing the real, the real spiritual business, da 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 but that's, that's not true, and that's not how he saw it. He said, right, fantastic. I'm going to throw myself at this. I'm going to do this with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. And he really has. And he has been such an encouragement, I know, to lots of people around him, other people who've caught the vision for just making an internal investment in church ministry. And, um, you know, I know that Ken has um, uh, got behind the, the Alpha course. It just probably wouldn't be where it was today if it wasn't for him. But also things like Soul Survivor, whom he wasn't involved in, and you may have heard of, but just kind of saw, you know, thousands of people, uh, young people meeting with God every, every summer and said, you know, that's just got to keep going. That's got to keep going. We've got to make a way that this doesn't fail because lack of money. And I know that he's underwritten that many years when they've not come to their final tally. Now, we may not all be uh, Ken Costas in terms of the, s the size of the money we have or things like that, but we can all be excited to catch the vision to support Christian ministry. Jesus himself was supported, we're told, by a group of wealthy women who gave to support him and his disciples. Maybe we want to catch some of that vision ourselves. We'll not regret it. We'll not regret it because when our time for managing is over, we will have friends in heaven. A third way we can give to invest in people is just to give to encourage and do good. Full stop. Just to encourage and do good. This one is a little bit less obvious because I think we find it 
quite hard to give where there isn't an obvious need. There's some kind of internal legal relationship where we struggle to give to someone who's not in need. But that's rubbish. <laughs> it's, there's something wrong with that. God doesn't give to us just what we need. He gives us far more than that. We, you know, he doesn't owe us anything. We've got no hope of repaying him. Um, he just gives out of abundance to bless us. And I don't think we're really going to get the scale of God's love for us until we start getting this generous aspect that he just gives because he loves. In chapter 8, verse 24, Paul says that giving is a sign or a proof of love. It's symbolic. It comes. We know that it shows love. Later on in chapter 9, from verse 12 onwards, he talks about again and again about how when, when they give generously, People will praise God for this. They will be overflowing in thanks to God. They will, they will see it as a sign of relationship. They'll see it as a sign of love. And they'll just, it'll be overflowing with encouragement. Giving to bless people just causes so much encouragement. Uh, a number of years ago now, um, one of my colleagues who I was working with at HT um, was praying about whether she should buy an iPad. They were more rare back then, saying, so, yeah, don't look at me so scared, Phil. Um, praying about whether to have an iPad, because she felt that, um, you know, Lord, is this, it seems a bit of an expense that, you know, and um, I'm not sure I need it, and, you know, I'm not sure I can justify it. And then she came outside one day, uh, a couple of days later, I think it was, I don't know, um, to find that someone had bought her an iPad and left it on her doorstep with a note that said, and I don't know what exactly it said, but something along the lines of, just to bless you, God loves you, keep going. I don't know, something like that. And I tell you, we did not hear the end of that story on the staff team for months. She was so encouraged, just like God had just reached down and said, I love you, I'm going to give you more than you need, and I see you, and I see what you're praying. And and she she was so encouraged and blessed by that. A couple of years ago, two of my friends um, were uh, leaving Cambridge. They're married, and uh, they were saving up for a car. And they would have got there eventually. Um, but a bunch of friends, their friends, got around them and said, you know, as a, as a kind of parting gift, we want to buy you a car and just send you off. We know you could have afforded it, but we just want to say we're behind you. We love you. We're with you in this. They were so encouraged. They were so blessed. And there was so much praising of God. Uh, and a number of years ago as well, I know there's some members of my home group here um, uh, from, from when this happened. When uh, we were, Our home group uh, a number of years ago, someone shared a, uh, a prayer request at the end, as often happens, about how they were struggling because they were between rents. You know how when you move into a new house, you pay the deposit at the same time as your last month's rent? And there was a prayer sort of saying, I'm struggling with this. Look, I have the money in, this, in savings, but can you pray for me? I'm struggling a bit with this giving thing and, the, and money and stuff. And some emails went round in the, uh, over, the, over the, the week. And then the next week, the home group was able to get together and say, you know what, we know you've got the money in savings, but we'd love to pay a month's rent for you. Because we love you and we're behind you. I'll tell you what, that was so encouraging, not only for this person, but for all the rest of us. It was just fantastic. And when I hear these stories, when I see them out in the world, of people giving generously, it just sends a tingle down my sp- spine. It says, that is the God I know. That is the gospel I know of a generous, generous God. 
Why don't you think about taking up a hobby of needless generosity? Why don't you put aside some money each month and just think, where could this go? I'm just going to give this to someone, pray about it. Obviously, we have to be sensitive about how we give these things. We don't want to make anything really awkward. But at the same time, just think about it. Why are we so tight and legalistic with money? You know, you'll not regret it. Because when your time for managing is over, you'll have friends in heaven. So, generosity. It's a grace given to us. I hope you're a little bit more on board with this as something that we could throw ourselves at. But it does bring us to the slightly awkward question which everyone's asking. Okay, what does that really mean for me? How much? How much should I give? The truth is that the New Testament doesn't give us a figure. It doesn't say to us, if you give this much, you'll be doing well. If you give less than that, you're not, etc., etc. I mean, that would kind of almost defeat the idea of generosity. How could you be told that that is, that's how much you should give and give no more? But in our passage and throughout Scripture, there are two principles that we can take on board that might help us decide prayerfully before God how much we should give. The first um, is in chapter 8, verse 11 to 12, where Paul says, Now finish the work, and by which he means collecting up the collection. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do do it might be matched by your completion of it. According to your means. According to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. In other words, Paul expected the Corinthians, and he expects us, uh, those of us who have more, to also give more. That as our wealth increases, that we should also give more accordingly. And on the flip side of that, it's good to know that if we don't have much, if willingness there, if our heart is in the right place, we can still give in a way that pleases God. There's that amazing story um, in Luke 21 where um, the widow, uh, Jesus is sitting in the temple looking, and this little wid- uh, widow comes in, and she puts two little copper coins in, uh, virtually worth nothing, into the temple uh, giving box. Jesus calls his disciples around, uh, team huddle, and he says, look at that, look at that widow. Truly I tell you, this poor widow put in more than all the others. All of these people, they gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Practically speaking, she gave much less than the rest. But Jesus saw her heart and her sacrifice, and he was pleased. And our giving should be in proportion to our wealth. But secondly, the second principle is that our giving should be sacrificial. It should be sacrificial. It should be generous. At the same time as saying that we should give in proportion to our wealth, that doesn't mean that we should just give out of the leftovers, give out of our spare change that we haven't spent, or only give when it's easy to think, oh, when I get rich, then I'll, then I'll give. We're also called to give sacrificially, however much we have. Jesus commended the widow's gift. Why? Because 
her heart was in the right place, but it was because it was a costly gift for her to give. And in our passage, Paul holds up the example of the Macedonian church, who he says were really poor, really struggling at the time. And yet, he says, they gave willingly. He says they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Have you ever given beyond your ability? That's challenging. That's the example that Paul is holding out to the Corinthians. Our giving should be sacrificial. And I just, in line with everything else we've looked at tonight, I just want to encourage us to set our sights high. Set our sights high. Let's not have our financial uh, kind of spending, you know, let's not have it dictated to us by just the normal progression of life as to what you spend when you get more money. Don't, we don't need to conform that. Let's just smash that up and ask for a moment, what could it look like if we turned this on its head? Here's a, a wild proposal, and I, if you have an issue with this, you want to chat about it, come and I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards. Why don't you think about aiming for, might take a while to get there, but why don't you think about aiming for living on a third, saving a third, and giving a third? Silence. Some of us might be thinking, that's terrifying, that's crazy, I'd never, there's no way, but why not? Why not? For some of us, that might be not feasible if we don't, it might not be possible. For some of us, that might be too little. But I just put out a number because sometimes until we put out a number, we don't really think, what, what could my giving look like? Or how about taking John Wesley's uh, example? John Wesley uh, was a famous kind of evangelist and church leader, uh, ended up sort of um, founding the Methodist church back in the 1700s. And when he was a young man living in Oxford, I think he was still studying at this time, um, he felt very convicted to pray about his giving and his financial situation. And he decided prayerfully that he would work out how much he could live on modestly but comfortably. And then he'd live on that and he'd give everything else away. And so he decided that he could live on 28 pounds a year. Now, don't worry, 28, 28 pounds was worth a lot more back then than it is today. But still, it's, it works out, it's not far off kind of minimum wage, a little bit more than that, something like that. He, he, he was single, so, um, but that's what he decided he could comfortably live on. And so in his first year, he earned 30 pounds. He lived on 28 and he gave away two, which actually, if you do the maths, is still quite a considerable amount to give away. But the next year, his income doubled, and he earned 60 pounds. But he gave away 32 pounds, lived on 28. The year after that, he earned 90 pounds. But he didn't let his spending just increase. He gave away 62 pounds and lived on 28. And actually, he t turned out to be pretty famous in the end, and he led a big movement. And he, you know, he earned a lot at the height, at the height of his earnings, the, 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 the year he earned most, he earned 1,600 pounds, which in those days was an absolute fortune. And that year, he lived on 30 pounds and he gave all the rest away. Why not? Why not? I don't say those to go back on what I've just said about legalism and, oh, there's a figure. I don't say those two examples to say, well, oh, now if you, if you fit one of those, then you've, you've got that right. I say them just to blow the top off our thinking, 
to try and reverse this sense that I'm just going to give away the leftovers and think, what would it really look like for me to catch the bug, the gospel bug? What would it really look like for me to excel in the grace of giving? Maybe we'd have to work our way towards it. But let's think about it. I can't give you an answer for how much you should give. You have to go to God for that. But God, Jesus calls us to, be, to give generously in proportion with our wealth, but also sacrificially. And this isn't something, this isn't something that we do because we have to. We excel in the grace of giving because it's about living in the generosity of God. Because if we do it, it will change our hearts. And if we do it, we'll be investing in the eternal kingdom of God. So let's excel in the grace of giving. Let me pray for us as we finish. Father, for some of us, um, money is a, a, a big issue in life. For some of us, we haven't thought about it much. But Lord, for all of us, it, it, it does kind of have a tendency to creep in and run life for us. But Father, we, we, we long for a day when money would serve us and serve you, not the other way around. We long for a day when we would we would live freely with money, trusting in your generosity. We, love, we long for a day when our giving would be a joy, when we would be able to say that we, we give cheerfully, when we could look at the Macedonians and say that we, we have the same heart to bless, to urge, to be involved. And so we ask, Lord, as we... Uh, as we bring this before you, we pray that you'd be speaking to us, encouraging us, strengthening us. That we would uh, add to all the other things that you have done in our lives. We would grow in this grace of giving. Thank you that everything you call us to do is for our freedom and good. Amen.